Well, I'm really excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in Prescott. Uh, I know a lot of my friends are asking, Scott, you're thinking about moving to Prescott in the summer. What's your real motive? Um, so I'm just telling you, I couldn't wear this jacket today in Phoenix. Uh, so we're, and we're really excited to be here, uh, my family and I. I want to introduce you to them. Uh, this is uh, my family. Uh, my wife, Danny, we've been married for eight years this summer, and um, we, uh, we met about 10 years ago, and uh, it was going to be pretty tough, I mean, because she's taller than me, and then she wears heels, and she's six inches taller than me, and uh, she's a lawyer, and so I was afraid that I would go to jail if anything bad ever happened, and then she became a prosecutor, and I really would go to jail, and, um, but we, um, we're, we're an awesome team, and uh, I, I love my wife. She believes in me without believing in the press about me. She keeps me humble. I just, I love that. Um, so these are our kids. Wes is in the middle. He is the energy of the group and, uh, he's four and, um, uh, you'll learn, you'll see him in a different light later on in this sermon. And then Shayla and Max are twins. Uh, Shayla is, um, I don't even know, like the last 24 hours that girl and I have been going like this. So she's a spitfire, um, and she's got tons of energy. And then Max is just normally about as even keel as they come. If you've ever seen the movie Minions, he's like Dave. The whole world can be falling apart, and he's just happy. And, um, and so uh, the, the twins will be two in August, and so uh, that's my family. And um, we're, again, we're really excited to be here. It's been a pleasure to work with your, your elders and the search team, get to know the staff a little bit. Again, it's really, really excited for me to be here today. And um, again, really excited for that set. That was incredible. And uh, again, I'm really, really excited to be here. Well, when, when I was talking with the staff, I think it was a couple weeks ago, one of the questions that Jamie asked me, he said, Scott, wh- what's one of your favorite passages of scripture? And so I was thinking for a little bit, and I said, well, you know, I love Joshua in the Old Testament. He's one of my favorite characters. Um, but, I, but I also love in the New Testament, I love the theme of resurrection. Um, it's one of the most significant themes for me. Um, and so today I decided that I wanted to speak with you guys today for a little bit about the theme of the resurrection of Jesus. I said this in the video last week. I believe the resurrection of Jesus is the single most significant event in all of human history. And I also believe it's also the single most overlooked piece of our faith. You see, in my life, I've experienced the resurrection. If you met me several years ago, you would say, man, he's, he's a really arrogant guy. And, and God brought that arrogant to death and he raised the new, uh, some humility in my heart that needed to come. If you met me a few years ago, you would have found somebody who was really cynical and bitter. And God did this work in my heart that he, he, he allowed me to forgive and he allowed me to find freedom. Uh, several years ago, if you'd met me, I think I had a chip on my shoulder. I had something to prove. But now I think I've become much more comfortable in my own skin. And you see, I've experienced resurrection happen in my life where some things that needed to die, they died. And out of that death came this beautiful new life. You see, I believe that the truth is is that most of us live between Friday and Sunday. We live between the death of something in our lives and something new coming to life. Some of you, you may have had a dream for how you thought your life was going to go. And then that died. And now you're kind of waiting to see what God's going to do, what he's going to bring to life in the place of that thing. Some of you in this room, you you may have gone through a divorce. You you, you stood on a stage like this and you said, I do, and until death do us part. And and then those vows weren't, weren't carried out. 
And so you had to deal with the loss and the brokenness and the pain of that. And then you had to wait for God to bring something new, something, something alive out of that the place of death. Some of you may have had a dream for how your life was going to go financially or how your life was going to go with, in terms of your business. And then that died. And then you weren't sure what was going to happen next. God, what are you going to do now? Some of you, you may have even lost a child. You may have lost a loved one. You may have had somebody who was close to you betray you. Well, what do you do with that? What do you do while you wait on God to bring some new life in the place where there was death? You see, I believe many of us live between Friday and Sunday, between the death of something as Christ died on a Friday and a Sunday, the the resurrection of something new. And today what I want to do is I want to speak to you about how you live between Friday and Sunday. I want to answer the question, what's the big deal about the resurrection? Because I believe that there are people in this room, I don't know you, so I'm not going to speak like I do. But I have a hunch that many of you have come into a room like this needing some hope. I did some research this week and you know what I found? I found that you can live for over three weeks without food. I'm not sure if you knew that. You can live with, you can go for about eight to ten days without sleep. I know this because I had twins. (laughs) You can live for about a hundred hours without water. Not in the desert, that number goes way down. You can live for about three to five minutes without oxygen. But I'm not sure you can live, truly live for a minute without hope. And so this morning, I want to talk about the hope that is essential for us to survive and thrive. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul writes these words, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. That's a good definition of hope. If you can see it, it's not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. God, I pray for my friends in this room today. I pray in the places where they're waiting and longing and yearning for you to do something, where they're hoping. I pray that you would show us today how we can wait with patience as you lead us and guide us into the future. In your name we pray, amen. When you walked in, you got a bulletin, and that bulletin is a handout. On that handout is a section that says, Big Idea. And this is the central idea I want to talk to you about this morning, that resurrection hope changes everything. Again, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know where you're living. I don't know the challenges that you're facing. But what I do know is that when we encounter resurrection hope, the hope that is found in the resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. I know this from personal experience. I'm going to show this to you today from the pages of the Bible. And I believe that even in your life in the past, you have example after example that verifies the truth of this statement, that resurrection hope changes everything. I mentioned I'm going to show you this from the pages of the Bible, and the passage we're going to spend the majority of our time in today is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, 1 Corinthians is near the back of the Bible. It's it's in the section called the New Testament. It's right between the books of Romans and 2 Corinthians. It's the first letter that Paul wrote to a church called Corinth. Now, Corinth is a really interesting city. Anybody ever been to New York City before? Anybody been to New York City? Anybody been to Las Vegas before? Just merge those two cities together and you get Corinth. It's massively influential. 
And it's Las Vegas. I can say this because I grew up there. But Corinth is a very diverse city with some incredible challenges that are facing it. And Paul writes to them, and as he gets near the end of his, his letter in 1 Corinthians 15, he begins to unpack for them the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm going to read these words. They're going to be on the screen here. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as being raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misinterpreting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's, that's how high the stakes are for the resurrection. But there's a but. Thank God for the but. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. You see, I believe that the resurrection that we see in Jesus Christ, that hope, it changes everything. And I want to show you how in three ways. I believe the resurrection hope is a big deal when first we put our hope in Jesus. I believe resurrection hope is a big deal when we begin to put our hope in Jesus. You see, I think there's a lot of places in our world today where we could put our hope. We could put our hope in a presidential candidate. We could put our hope in, in a, a new era of leadership in our country. We could put our hope even in a new pastor. We could, we could put our hope in, in our financial situation turning around. We could put our hope in meeting the one. Clovis is putting a little bit of hope that his life is going to get a little better in about a week. But, <laughs> but there's a lot of things we put our hope in. And that's not just true in our day. It was true in the day of Jesus. You see, when Jesus was born, he lived in a world where there were other messiahs. There were other messiahs. We often call Jesus this phrase Lord, or Jesus was the messiah. He was the promised one. But he wasn't the first messiah. There were other men in his day who claimed to be the promised one, who claimed to be the messiah. But inevitably, every single time one of these messiahs rose up, it was like the plot line went exactly the same way. They would gather a following. They'd begin teaching other people. And then Rome would say, no, we're going to squash you. And they would hang them on a cross. They would execute them. They would bury them. That would be the end of that Messiah. And it happened that way again and again and again. And those followers would disperse and that would be the end of that Messiah. Well, when Jesus comes, he's a very different kind of Messiah. Because even though they tried to crucify him, he didn't stay in the grave. You see, the thing is about Jesus, even if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're, you're not really sure you're, why you're in church today at all. Maybe you're here because somebody invited you. Maybe you don't even believe in the Bible. 
See, the truth is from history, you can't ignore the reality that Jesus lived. You can't even ignore the reality that Jesus died. Those are verifiable facts. The center question that everyone disputes is, did he come back from the dead? Because if he came back from the dead, he wasn't like other messiahs. And everything changes. You see, in his world, in the Roman world, everyone was there to worship Caesar. Caesar was the most powerful person on earth. He wasn't just a leader, like a president of the United States. He was God. And so when you were a good Roman citizen, you wouldn't just declare, I like Caesar or Caesar is good, you would get down on one knee and you would say, Caesar is Lord. And so a scandalous thing began to happen when Jesus came back from the dead. His followers said, Jesus is Lord. And that was an act of defiance against Rome because Jesus was alive. And these people had put their hope in Jesus I said today that some of you came in and you're living between a Friday and a Sunday. And what I want to say to you is this. The strength of your hope is based upon the object of your hope. The strength of your hope is based upon the object of your hope. If you're going to go through life and have resilience to stand up against the things that come and go, the things that come your way, the things that threaten you, the things that make life difficult, you are going to need a robust hope that's bigger than any presidential candidate, that's bigger than any promised pay raise or promotion at work, that's bigger than meeting or marrying the one, that's better than some dream working out in the future. You see, I told you that I used to be a cynic and one of the reasons I was a cynic is that I put my hope in things that couldn't sustain it. I had a very weak hope because the object of my hope was weak. The resurrection changes everything because when we put our hope in Jesus, he is an object worthy of sustained hope. He is an object worthy of sustaining hope through the ups and downs of life. And his disciples discovered this. His disciples discovered this. These ordinary men, these ordinary men are one of the greatest evidences of the resurrection. These 12 men, minus one with Judas, all of them would go on to give their life rather than deny that Jesus had not been resurrected. They didn't do that because Jesus had given them some great hallucination. They didn't do that because they had some sign of Jesus when he fainted and came back to life. They did that because they saw a risen Savior, their Jesus, their Master, come back from the dead. And they gave their lives, both while they were living and in their death, rather than deny Jesus, because Jesus had transformed them. A man named Peter, originally Jesus meets him, his name name is Simon, which means shifting sand. Peter was one of the most unreliable people in the world. Jesus says, no, your name isn't going to be Simon. You're not going to be shifting sand. You're going to be Peter. You're going to be my rock. I'm going to transform you. There's a man named Thomas. He is filled with doubts. And he becomes the confident one who goes as far as any other disciple does in terms of distance to testify about Jesus. Matthew, he's a tax collector. I mean, we hate the IRS, but this is, this is well, way beyond that. 
And he goes from being filled with shame to being a powerful witness. You see, they knew something that we need to know today, and that is this, that what happened to Jesus will one day happen to us. What happened to Jesus will one day happen to us. As followers of Jesus, we don't just believe that the resurrection was a cool event, happened a long time ago, and it makes good fodder for songs today. We believe that the resurrection will one day be our story, that it has started in us and one day will be completed in us, that what happened in Jesus will happen to us, that he isn't just someone we look up to, that he is a model or a preview of what's going to happen in our lives. Let me say this. If in a week you guys decide as a church to vote and call me as your pastor, we will take seriously this truth that what happened to Jesus will happen to us. And that will be the message that we share with each other and that we share with Prescott. That resurrection has happened in our lives and that Jesus is the one, that he is our hope. And we are hoping in him and we call other people to that as well. The second thing that happens when we begin taking seriously the resurrection, resurrection hope is a big deal when we look at our stories for a preview when we look at our stories for a preview. Maybe an interesting concept for you. But I believe that our stories are a preview of what's to come. You see, we live in a broken world. I don't need to remind you of this. Just turn on the news any day and you get a reminder. From Brussels to San Bernardino to Paris... My wife spent five and a half years prosecuting domestic violence cases in Phoenix, and I learned the sad truth that three to five million women and children every year will be abused in their home. Today on on planet Earth, more than any other time in human history, there are 29 million slaves. And over 500 million people today, they don't have this. They don't have clean water. And it's causing massive problems for everything about their life and their world. See, we live in a broken world. And and you know this. How many people in this room have been betrayed by somebody you love or care about? How many of you have betrayed somebody you love or care about? I mean, honestly, we're we're here in a college today. I mean, we all have a PhD in brokenness. I mean, we know brokenness really, really well. We do. And we live in a world that's desperate for change. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 20, this is what we read. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. See, our story is that we have been made alive. That even amidst our brokenness and our pain, the way we disappointed other people and they've disappointed us, that we have experienced resurrection. That God has brought life to us. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul writes, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That is ridiculously good news. Really, really good news that we have been transformed, 
that we are new creations, that our past doesn't have to be our future, that our sins no longer have to be held against us. Let me say it this way. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that's the story I I trust of so many of you sitting in this room, that you weren't just somebody who did a couple things wrong, but that you sense in your heart there was something that was dead in you, that he has brought to life. And when Jesus brings those things to life, when he does the work of resurrection, it's incredible. I wanted to share with you a living testimony of this today. And so in a moment, they're going to show you a video, something that happened in our family's life a little over two years ago. We got pregnant with twins. And um, twins wasn't a word I let my wife use in our house for the first five weeks. So that, 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 that the five-letter word, not a four-letter word, but we don't use that word in this house until it was confirmed. And, um, and then I had to deal with reality. But in the midst of that experience, we, we experienced some pretty crazy things. And last year for Easter, we made a video telling the story of how God worked resurrection in our lives. I want you to watch the video. Thank you. You know, um, just listening to that um, takes, me, takes me back to that. Um, and, and while we're really grateful that that story ended that way, we have stories and you have stories that haven't, haven't finished that way, um, where you're still waiting for your happy ending and the resolution. I, I think we need to become experts at telling our resurrection stories. I don't just think that. I believe that. Um, that story for us has been the platform for us to share about the resurrection in so many places that we didn't expect. Um, And I believe that the resurrection stories that you have in your past, how God has brought you through things, how God has brought life out of death, how God has brought hope into darkness, how how God has brought life out of despair, how God has brought something new out of what you thought was totally gone, that story is one that deserves to be told. And so you need to become an expert at at telling that. Um, There are people who need to hear the story that you've lived. And sometimes the person who needs to hear it is you. Sometimes we need to preach our own experiences back to ourselves and remind ourselves who God has been. That this point is we need to look to our stories for a preview. The stories of God's faithfulness in your past are a preview of how he's going to be faithful in the future. God has done incredible things in the, the life of Cornerstone Church. I've, I've just begun to scratch the surface of those but I believe they are only a preview of the resurrection stories he wants to write in the future. How do I know that? Because that's how God's worked in my life. The stories I've seen up till now are so crazy and incredible that I have to only believe that God is just getting started. And so we have to look to our stories as a preview. Third, we need to expect resurrection in the future. We need to expect resurrection in the future. If it's true that we've seen resurrection in our past, if it's true that we've got our our eyes and our hope on Jesus, then we need to live expecting resurrection to come in the future. All throughout this passage, if you've been watching, there's been a phrase that gets popped up again and again. It's this phrase, first fruits. Now I have to tell you, there's a lot of things I have experience in. Agriculture is not one. 
Danny is the one with the green thumb. I don't touch anything. I, if I water things, they die. Like I just, I don't do well with them. But so I've had to do research to learn this. And one of the things I've learned through research is when you're, when you're preparing to, to bring in a harvest of crops, no matter whether it's grapes or whether it's wheat or whether it's corn, or whether it's watermelon, whatever your crop of, of fancy is, when you bring in the first piece of that harvest, that first piece is called the first fruits. And it's like a, a movie trailer. It's a preview of what the real thing is going to be like. So you can take a, a taste of that first batch of grapes and figure out if it's going to be a good, a good harvest. You can, can taste a first batch of, of that apple and say, hey, is this going to be a good year for the orchard? Last week we went and picked some peaches and, you know, is this going to be a good year for the peaches? The thing is, when it comes to the resurrection, Jesus is our first fruits. And then here's what the passage says. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. You see, what happened to Jesus will one day happen to all of creation. Paul is writing and saying that what happened to Jesus will not only one day happen to us, but in fact, all of creation will be transformed by the power of the resurrection. That's why I believe the resurrection has been sold so short in the church. Christmas is the peak of the church year. And Easter just gets the, the seconds, the leftovers. We spend a month getting ready for Christmas. And Easter is one day and it's gone. And if you rip Easter and the resurrection out of the Bible, there literally is nothing left. I read you the passage earlier. We are still in our sins. Our faith is futile. And we are to be pitied amongst all humankind without the resurrection. See, what happened to Jesus will one day happen for all of creation. Paul writes in Romans 8.21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's the good news. Jesus says at the very end of the Bible, second to last chapter, Revelation 21.5, behold, I am making all things new. That's a promise that everything that has been lost, everything that has been broken, everything that has disappointed, he promises that he will make new. I want to share with you a quote from a person who's really taught me more than anybody else outside of the Apostle Paul and the resurrection. His name is N.T. Wright. In his book, Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright says this, Easter Sunday functions as the beginning of the new creation. The word through whom all things were made is now the word through whom all things are remade. So far from being an odd or isolated supernatural event, Jesus' resurrection is to be seen as the beginning of the new world, the first day of the new week, the unveiling of the prototype of what God is now going to accomplish in the rest of the world. With the resurrection of Jesus, we see a sneak preview of what God promises he's going to do in you and in you and in you and in you and in Prescott and in Phoenix and all over the world that he is literally going to restore and redeem all of his creation. 
the book of Genesis begins with a statement that God says over his creation again and again, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. And the Bible ends with a promise, behold, I am making all things new. That's the good news of the resurrection. Let me say it this way. The resurrection not only changes everything, resurrection hope is everything. I believe our hope in the resurrection is everything. And I believe that God is calling his followers to put their hope in the resurrection of Jesus. So again, if you were to call me as your pastor, and that's a big if, that's going to be something you're going to have to discern and decipher yourself. Then I'm going to lead us to be resurrection people. I'm going to pray that God births in Prescott a resurrection city. A people who are convicted that God is not done bringing life out of death and hope into darkness. And together we will, we're going to carry that message forward. There's some next steps I want to lead you to consider today on the back of your handout. You can fill in these blanks. First, I want to challenge you to determine what you're going to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Some of you here today need to decide, do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe it happened? And if you do, what does it mean for you? You have to determine what you're going to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Secondly, I want to challenge you to reflect on your resurrection stories. I want to challenge you this week to reflect on your resurrection stories. This isn't as easy as going back into your, you know, time hop feature on Facebook and seeing pictures from four or five years ago. Although sometimes it can be. I really challenge this week to go sit down with somebody that you know, maybe you're close to, somebody's part of your family, and go, hey, has, has God done resurrection in our lives? What, is, what has God done in our past? The thing is, if you're not an expert at your own story, you're never in a place to be able to share it. And I believe God gives us platforms all the time in the lives of other people to share how he's been at work in our lives. And I believe that one of the most difficult things to defend against is the story of a transformed life. I believe in this room there are stories of transformation that God wants to tell and we need to become prepared to tell those stories. And then three, apply resurrection hope to your present circumstances. Apply resurrection hope to your present circumstances. If you're living between a Friday and a Sunday, between what you thought was going to be and what you're waiting on God to bring, then I'm going to challenge you to apply resurrection hope. No, hope is not something you can see. But when you hope for what you don't yet see, you wait for it with patience. I'm waiting on some things in my life for God to resurrect. I don't know how they're going to work out. Part of writing the message this week was my prayer of saying, God, I want you to to work in this and help me to be patient because I'm far from it most days. But I'm going to challenge you to apply resurrection hope there because if we're ever going to share a message of hope with anyone else, it has to become part of us first. Because if the gospel is not transforming us, it'll never transform our world. It has to transform us. Hope has to take root in us first before we ever share it with the world. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. It's a gift. We weren't promised it. 
And we're so grateful for it. Thank you for giving your son, Jesus, to come make his dwelling among us, give his life for us, and be resurrected from the dead. God, we're facing some difficult days. God, there's places in our heart where there's pain and bitterness, where there's wounds. God, some of us, were not where we thought we would be. And we're waiting on you. And we're trusting that you're still in the business of doing resurrection. And so while we wait between the death of something and you raising something new, we pray you'd meet us here and do the work that only you can do. In your name we pray, amen. The band is going to lead us in a couple songs that, that deal with resurrection right now. And so people are going to be up here at the front if you want to come and pray. If you've never put your faith and trust in the resurrection, I can't promise you that it's going to spare you from heartache, from more Fridays, from more death. But I can promise you that Jesus is an object of hope that is strong and resolute enough to c- contain and sustain you through whatever life brings. And they would love to talk to you, these people who are going to be up here, about what it might mean for you to put your faith and trust in the resurrection. Some of you came in today and you're just carrying wounds. You're carrying burdens. You came in needing hope. Maybe you need to pray by yourself or pray with one of them about something that's happening in your life. They would love to do that. I'll be down here. If you want to come pray with me, I'd love to do that too. You can stand. You can sit. The band's going to lead us as we sing to the one who's resurrected that our hope is in. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.